All right. Um, if you have not been here in the, at church the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, you be, uh, it'd be good to know that we've been going through a theme called Work as Worship. And uh, as part of that theme, we are interviewing a few of our workers uh, at church, and today we get to get to know Craig a little bit better. So, Craig, why don't you tell us what you do and how long have you been doing your job? Um, so, morning church. So, started off, I'm going to give you a bit of history here, so. <laughs> Actually started off in banking and finance for about 10 years after uni, and then um, after that got into real estate, property, um, and the reason why I got into that was I've always been quite interested in property, and also back then, kind of like, found out that real estate uh, and real estate agents is actually one of the least trusted professions, like along with politicians and car salesmen. <laughs> so I actually thought like, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Um, especially when, if you think about it with real estate, people actually trust them with their biggest assets, like, but they're trusting it with someone that people don't trust. So that kind of didn't make sense to me. So that's kind of like why I went into real estate and been doing that for about seven or eight years. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, in this profession, how does your faith influence you and your, con- and your conduct at work? It influences me a lot, um, and it's one of the reasons why I got into it, because um, I think I thought there would have been a better way to do this, um, especially when real estate is kind of like synonymous with fraud, um, lying, cheating, um, and especially in the sales environment, for those that are in the sales field, you all know... In a team environment, everybody's kind of like man for themselves. Um, you kind of like do whatever it takes to get the sale um, and you kind of like don't have regard for the others. Um, so in the area of my faith and I thought, you know, there's got to be, we, there's a way to bring God into this. Um, and the way I've been fortunate enough to work in a big team as well in a small team as well as my own team. Um, so... In a way, I've transitioned from uh, being a follower as well as being a leader. Um, so try to instill the godly principles, the way how we treat each other. Um, you know, it's not, not all about sales. Uh, it's about the relationships that we build. Uh, it's about the goals that we achieve as a team as well. So, yeah. That's awesome. Um, I know just for myself and Chris, when we were buying a house back in uh, whatever it was, we, uh, yeah, we had to deal with some real estate agents who obviously were not telling us the whole truth and uh yeah it's awesome that you have that perspective and yeah that's yeah i wish you were our real estate agent back then that would have been awesome uh what restrictions do you face being a christian in the workplace um before i uh, i faced a fair bit of restrictions especially in the banking and finance where you ca- you really didn't have like a voice um you were kind of like just did what you did in a little bit um but i still remember though like um I was attending Hillsong back then, and I was talking with the chief economist and the whole, like, the trading room and everything, and everyone was talking about the weekend. Um, and I don't know why, but then the Holy Spirit kind of, like, tell them about the Hills, like, you know, the, the men's conference that you attended and the album recording. So I talked to the chief economist and everything, and then, like, he, he was, and also the treasurer. So, um, and they were just kind of like, oh, okay, this kid is, you know, doing his own thing and stuff like that. I don't, I'm not too sure whether it made an impact, but like, um, I think in a big organisation, do what you can. I think um, don't be afraid to voice like who you are and what you believe in. Um, but up until now, like I've been fortunate enough that I haven't had much restriction in terms of sharing my faith. Um, I've always been quite good in building good relationships within my team and my colleagues. Um, And I really see it as God blessing me with the opportunity to be able to, like, you know, to have really good relationships with all these colleagues. Um, And for me, I've always gone from the approach of building the relationship first rather than kind of sharing the gospel. Um, I've always gone with getting to know them, spend time with them, um, get to know their family, get to know what they've been through. Um, Then kind of, like, how I conduct myself, um, how I talk to them, um, I'd rather do that, do it that way, like via, through proof what I do, rather than kind of like 
like smashing them with Bible verses or like, you know, <laughs> and things like that. But that's yeah. just my approach. Everybody's different. So, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Cool. And I guess finally, how can we pray and support you uh, in your mission field? Yeah, so I thought about this and um, the good thing about my job is like I come across very different facets of people and people going through different situations and there's a lot of people that need help out there. So uh, to give you guys an example, um, a good friend of ours is going through um, IVF. Um, they've been trying for a while um, and, you know, it was a former colleague, no longer a colleague, but we've been praying for them and it would be great if, along with the prayers, like just for resources, like if people can help out, like whatever it is in terms of cooking a meal and things like that, like I think we're blessed to be a blessing. So um, other than the normal prayers and support and things like that, um, I'm after resources because there's people out there, there's just this past month, there's, I've encountered so many people with separated uh, families, um, divorcees or single mothers. Like these are the people that need help. And it would be awesome if like, you know, I can, you know, whether it's food or whatever it is that we can bless them with, um, Anything that we can do, um, that's the way I see it. And um, that's the way that that would be great if the church can support. Mm. Fantastic. All right, why don't we pray for Craig and then, and then I'll get into the sermon. Cool. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Craig and, uh, yeah, God, just for his faithfulness and his desire to serve you at his workplace. Um, yeah, Father, it really is encouraging to see and hear about uh, yeah, the different way that he approaches his work and the way that he wants to uh, be a person of integrity and um, yeah, to do his job differently to how the world does it. And uh, Father, I thank you for that. And, and God, I also praise you and, and just uh, yeah, thank you so much for his heart, for his colleagues, even those that he no longer is colleagues with. Uh, Father, I thank you that yeah, his desire is to reach them uh, uh, and show them the love that you've shown him. And uh, yeah, so Father, I pray that uh, you would help him to do that. You would give him wisdom uh, that you would help him to continue to reach out to those people. And Father, I pray that as a church, that we will be able to support him as well, to provide him, uh, yeah, those resources that, uh, you know, people need. And, and yeah, Father, I pray that you continue to, yeah, give him that sensitivity uh, to others. God, I also just thank you for the, his example and his uh, courage in the workplace. And Father, I pray that you continue to bless him as he goes about uh, his work from Monday to Friday um, and Saturday as well. And so, God, I yeah, pray for him. I commit him to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Craig. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, we've been going through a series called Work as Worship. And I wonder if you've asked this question. It naturally was my first question, which is, what makes work an act of worship? How can we worship God through our work? Uh, well, if we look at worship, worship is anything that we do in order to glorify God. We worship God when we lay aside our own selfish desires and wants, and we replace them with a desire to please Him instead. When we gather in Sunday morning to worship together and sing together, we're focusing on praising Him and lifting Him up. Our focus is to rejoice over who He is and what He has done. It's not really about the music or the musicians or how well we can sing, it's really all about giving God the praise that He deserves. And in the same way, we are called to live out our lives and perform our vocations and jobs in a way that brings Him glory, not ourselves. Romans 12.1 puts it like this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. To worship God is to offer Him our lives. It's to recognize that our lives are not our own, but God's, and that ultimately He is the one who we should work for. It follows that to worship God with our work is ultimately to treat Him as Lord, even in our workplace. It's to work in such a way that He is lifted up, that He is glorified through both the output of our work as well as the way that we go about doing that work. This is how Paul describes that attitude in Colossians 3, to 24 Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it, not only when their eyes on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, 
not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Simply put, our work is worship if we're doing it with all our hearts for God. Today, there are four points that I want to highlight that will help us to fulfill the calling that God has given us in our workplaces. The first is that our perspective of work makes all the difference. Work teaches us to love others like Jesus did. It shapes us to become more like Christ. And finally, work gives us unique opportunities to build his kingdom. And as I speak about work today, I understand that all of us are in diverse, are in a diverse range of different work contexts. Uh, some of us are teachers, as we've heard in the past couple of weeks. Uh, one of us is a real estate agent. Some of us are office workers, and the rest of us are non-office workers. Uh, you might be a full-time student. You might be a stay-at-home parent or a retiree, perhaps. But when I refer to the word work today, I'm really using it in quite a loose sense. And it really just describes whatever you spend the majority of your time doing. Uh, you may not be able to necessarily identify with all the specifics of what I share, but God willing, you'll still be able to apply the general spiritual principles to your own individual context. Our perspective of work makes all the difference. Uh, there's been quite a many times in the past where I've wondered, what is the point of the work that I do? Uh, and I really did struggle with that, and sometimes I still do. I question whether I really make a difference for his kingdom or not. I question whether it would be better for me to simply quit my job and perhaps go overseas and serve as a full-time missionary or, or maybe as a lay preacher or something else. Uh, in my mind, surely they're the kinds of people who are doing far greater work than ever I could in the, for the kingdom. Surely the Pastor Joes and the Pastor Bens and Pastor Johns, surely the missionaries uh, that we support, the Mimis and Didis, the Keiichis out there in the world, surely they're contributing far more than I ever could to God's kingdom. I mean, they're the ones with the remarkable stories of seeing lives transformed and changed, aren't they? And on the other hand, here I am, sitting at my desk, doing my little thing, faithfully tithing, but seemingly without much success, being able to reach my friends and work colleagues around me. Rather than work being worship, sometimes it can feel like just another obstacle or a hindrance, hindrance and needs to get out of the way before I can worship God properly on a Sunday morning. The problem with this train of thought is that we start to believe that our day jobs are, are really second rate in the economy of God. Uh, we might be tempted to think that God only really uses those people who have really devoted themselves to the work of God. I mean, how often do you hear about that famous accountant or programmer who did amazing exploits for God? Very rarely, I would think. Aren't all the amazing men and women that God uses, aren't they all preachers or missionaries? And so naturally, we conclude that our work is somehow less important to God. And it's very easy to have this disconnect between our secular work and our lives on the weekend or at church. Work all too easily becomes a daily grind without giving a second thought to God or perhaps his purposes for us in the workplace. We think that serving church is just our serving at church is our Christian duty, but serving at work is there simply to pay the bills. Played out to its logical conclusion, this kind of perspective will call, cause us to become Sunday-only Christians. Uh, I found this illustration. I, th I think Joe may have shared it. Apologies if he has. Uh, there were two guys who were laying bricks. Uh, the foreman saw that there were these two guys, and he noticed that one of them was far more energetic and enthusiastic than the other. Uh, so he went over to them, and he inspected the work, and he, and he asked the first guy, he said, you know, what, what are you doing? And he said, I'm just laying bricks. And then he approached the second guy, and he, the more enthusiastic guy, and he asked him, what are you doing? And to which he replied, I'm building a cathedral. You see, perspective makes all the difference. When we have the right theology regarding our work, we'll understand that our work has implications far beyond just filling our lives with something to do. Having the right perspective will help sustain us and give us enthusiasm and joy when we work. It will give us a greater clarity of purpose and it will guide us in the way that we conduct ourselves at work as well. When we come to the realization that our work is actually to be an act of worship to God, 
will find real purpose and make a difference for his kingdom, no matter what job we find ourselves doing. Uh, I do recognize that there are some of us who are probably very motivated and ambitious at work. Uh, Perhaps you look forward to getting out of bed every Monday morning and you love every bit about your job. Perhaps you're prepared to change the world and make a difference in ordinary people's lives. For you, the temptation might be to chase success, position, power, influence, or wealth, perhaps even over the things of God. Even the most noble and godly of intentions can lure us, uh, can sometimes creep in the lure of success if we don't remain grounded. At work, there is a real temptation to please others, to work hard for the accolades of men instead of working for the audience of one. The desire to get ahead and to climb, to make a name for yourself, to grow the business, to close that next deal, that can all compete with our devotion to God. The warning signs are an inability to keep a healthy separation of work, family, or even church. Maybe work just consumes your thoughts and you struggle to switch off once you've gotten home. We need to heed heed the signs that work is becoming our idol instead of a fragrant offering of worship to God. And the truth is, unless we treat our work as unto the Lord, we'll never truly fulfill all that God wants us for, for wants for us in our workplaces. Whether you're, you're the type of person who is more likely to be idle at work, or you're the type of person more likely to make work your idol, having the right perspective of work will guide us and help us to ensure that our work does, in fact, please the Lord. Uh, so my next three points will help us to give to give us a healthy perspective of our work. Work teaches us to love others like Jesus did. The typical nine-to-five worker will spend more of their waking hours with their work colleagues than with their spouse, children, or family. I know that's true for me during my work week. For the average person, you generally don't get to have much of a say in who you get to work with. And in your workplace, there are no doubt people who you just don't get along with. Uh, No doubt there are times where you've had to work with them and and possibly more, more closer than you'd prefer. What better way to learn to love like Jesus did than to work with people who we don't naturally gravitate toward? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 46 and 47. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? You see, work is the perfect place where you can grow in your capacity to love others. When we go out of our way to show love to others, especially those who we find difficult, we are emulating the love of God. We're becoming more Christ-like, and God is pleased. He's pleased because we're being obedient to Him, because we're reflecting the love of our Creator, and because He also loves the people that we work with. How do you love those you work with? Do you go the extra mile with them? Do you genuinely care about how their lives are going? I don't know about you, but I have definitely fallen into the trap in the past of viewing people purely based on how, they, how useful they are to me at work. Unintentionally, I might judge or treat them with less respect, those people who are less experienced than I am. And if I don't watch myself, I can find myself brushing off their opinions or views, being less patient around them, or simply not treating them as an equal. Instead of mentoring or giving them a helping hand, it's so easy to, to brush them aside. After all, I've got my own work to worry about, don't I? And if their work is not up to scratch, it can all be too easy to be critical or negative about them instead of being an encouragement and a blessing. And perhaps even worse than that, how easy is it to find out myself grumbling or complaining about them behind their back? I remember once I had a boss who I didn't really get along with all that well. Uh, our personalities didn't really gel, and sometimes I felt like he was just a bit too harsh. Uh, not just on me, but other people as well. Uh, anyway, because of this, for, for both our benefits, I kept our interactions brief and work-related. Uh, I was always polite and cordial with him. I never did anything mean to him or, or anything like that, but I preferred to keep different company. Uh, and I remember one day I came into work, and he revealed to me that he'd actually been going through a really difficult family situation. Um, I won't share the details, but it was pretty rough for him, and I really felt for him. And God convicted me that day because I had just been viewing him as someone to be appeased and avoided as my boss, 
instead of seeing him as another human being who was just as broken and in need of Christ as I was. I was guilty of being indifferent and aloof when I should have been a blessing and ministering the grace of God to him instead. I don't know if you've had a similar situation, but people are messy. People have messy lives. Work relationships can be messy. And yet the Bible tells us that we have no reward if we only love those who love us back. If we want to worship God through our work, we need to learn to love those that we don't get along with. Those people who schedule too many meetings and, intentionally or not, waste our time and energy. Those people who perhaps are obnoxious and rude. Maybe they're inconsiderate or just have personal habits that tick us off. In the eyes of the world, and perhaps in your own eyes, they don't deserve your love or time or effort. But I am convinced, the more that I look at how God portrays the world, that they are not there because God wants to punish you, but because he wants you to learn how to love like he does. He wants you to extend the undeserved grace and mercy that you've received to those that you know and work with. He wants us to grow in patience and long-suffering. He wants us to value others not by what they can offer us by the output of their work, but by the very fact that Jesus died for them just as he did for you and for I. What better place to exercise that kind of unconditional love than inside our workplaces? Thank God that he does not judge us or look on us by what we can offer him. Thank God that he does not hold our sin against us. Thank God that he is slow to anger, that he is abounding in love and ever patient with us. And if God can be all that for us, even though we crucified his son and we turned our backs on him, even while we were yet his enemies, shouldn't we be able to extend that same grace to those he specifically placed in our lives to work with? Shouldn't we, who have been shown such great kindness and patience, be the first to pay forward such great kindness and patience to those around us? So let me ask you, is there someone you work with who you need to perhaps reconcile with? Is there someone you've been treating poorly or disrespecting because you saw them not as a person in need of Christ's love, but merely as someone you could use to make your life a bit easier? Are there things that you need to sort out, perhaps put aside or have difficult conversations with for the sake of the advancement of the gospel? Now, I understand that there are social and work implications that can make this very tricky. It can make it difficult and awkward and, you know, maybe from a human perspective, it is seemingly impossible But at the end of the day, the only thing that really does matter is how you glorify God. All that matters is whether you receive the approval of your Father in heaven. He's the one with all the authority and the final say. Not your boss, not your employer, not your colleagues, not your subordinates. So when you rock up to your place of employment tomorrow morning, choose to genuinely look out for the people that you work with and love them irrespective of their bad habits that God might be glorified. Work shapes us to become more like Christ. God gives us work so that we become more like Him. Work is the perfect cauldron for which we can be thrown into in order to grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I've already talked a bit about loving others, so let's take a very brief look at some of the other fruit of the Spirit. Joy. How do you become a more joyful person? Well, when work is stressful and demanding, you plant your hope and your trust in God, and you find your source, source of joy in Him alone. Peace. How do you become a more peaceful person? Well, when there's conflict at work and growing demands on your time beyond what you can handle, you take a moment to pray, to surrender, and commit them to God. You learn to trust Him in any and every situation. It's then that you'll experience God's peace. Patience. How do you become more patient? Well, you do it by putting up with your annoying work colleagues You do it by persevering despite all the glaring inefficiencies and the time-wasting processes that you need to do in order to get your job done. You do it by making the conscious choice to curb your frustration and instead to consider it pure joy as you go through the trial. Kindness, how do you become more kind? Well, you do it by considering your work colleagues 
and by taking a genuine interest in their lives. You do it by being generous with your time and your energy to bless them and encourage them. Goodness, how do you become better or more good? By being a person of integrity, by doing what is right, especially when pressured to take shortcuts or compromise on the truth, you become you increase in goodness by avoiding joining in office gossip. Faithfulness, how do you become more faithful? What happens by being a person who keeps their word and who is trustworthy with a task? By being someone who can be counted on to do everything to the best of their ability. Gentleness, how can you be gentle in the office? Well, you can be gentle by responding to a harsh word with a soft one, by being the diffuser of work conflicts instead of an instigator, by being sensitive to the personal needs of those who do work around you or for you, or by being genuinely concerned with the struggles of your peers and superiors. Self-control, how do you increase in your ability to control yourself? Well, when your boss isn't watching you or when you're working from home, you choose to work as though he was there anyway. You see, building character doesn't come free, nor does it come easy. The difficulties that we face at work are exactly the right conditions which we need in order to stimulate and cultivate these qualities in our lives. All of us, at some time or another, will experience negative work situations. And I'm not saying that we should never consider moving job because of an unpleasant work environment, but perhaps next time when you're tempted to complain or vent your frustration about your work, Take a moment to consider the ways in which God wants to grow you instead. Romans 8.28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. With respect to our work, said in another way, God works in all of our situations. For us, his children, we've been put there for his purposes, that we might grow to become more like Jesus in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He's transforming us through all of it, and that's why work is worship, because ultimately he will be glorified through that process. Work gives us unique opportunities to build his kingdom. Now, sometimes I think about my family and friends who don't know Jesus, and in my mind I wonder about how that might happen. And so sometimes I find myself really praying that God would put active Christians in their workplaces who would work really hard and be a good witness and testimony to them. And I pray that those Christians would have the courage to share their faith openly and if not at least lead them to Christ, then pave the way for me or someone else to be able to share the gospel with them. I pray that for my family and friends who don't know Jesus. But then I think about me in my workplace I'm surrounded by people who are in need of Jesus too. There are also Christians out there who are probably praying for my work colleagues to come to know Jesus as well. You see, God's put me in my company to be a model employee and a bold witness, and there are people counting on me to be faithful and to be courageous in sharing Jesus with them. In his wisdom and sovereignty, God's given us the responsibility and privilege to draw people to Christ. And if you think about it, work really is a unique opportunity for us to show others that we live for God. Have you ever tried to strike up a gospel conversation with a complete stranger? Have you ever tried to preach on a street corner to passers-by? It's really a hard thing to do, to convince someone you don't even know about the gospel. But for most of us, the very nature of our work is that we are automatically forced to create medium to long-term relationships with our work colleagues. And the witness of a consistent character can make a huge impact on someone's life. Uh, There's a short video that I want us to watch. It's uh, from Right Now Media. And I just need to get my hotspot on. Cool. I have worked as an air traffic controller at one of the world's busiest airports. And in the lunchroom one day, uh, there was a group of veteran controllers sitting at another table who were pretty crude. And then one of them said, 
He grew up in a Christian home where his parents forced him to go to church and he hated it and never wanted to go back. And he mentioned the name of the church. And when he did, it was like a dagger in my heart to think, that's the kind of church I go to. Because of that name being there, it caused me to really uh, feel a lot of pain. But I didn't say anything. I waited until everybody left the room except he and I. And as we were washing our dishes at the sink, I said, Dennis, I didn't know that you went to church. And he turned to me and shook his fist in my face and said, don't you ever talk to me about God, religion, or anything like that. I have to work with you. So I didn't. But I tried to offer him the same dignity and respect that I would offer anybody. I really did a lot of self-questioning, I guess. You know, am I going about this wrong? For what reason would someone respond that way when it was a rather innocent question? As I thought through the process, I went everything from I'm discouraged and, and don't want to offer up those kind of questions. But it also caused me to go back and take a look at you know, why would he respond that way? I did ask some of my brothers to help me pray for this guy. I'm kind of out of options. I don't know what it's going to take. About eight years later, I was working at a radar scope one day, and he walked up and then asked me, what time does church start on Sunday? And I told him, and Dennis showed up. He brought his wife. After a few times of attending and going to lunch with my wife and I, he came to me and he said, Sandy, I know the way that I've been living has been wrong, and I need to correct that but my wife has never heard about Jesus Christ or any story from the Bible. Would you study with her? And my wife, Cindy, and I sat down and we studied with, with Dennis and Sharon, and she became a Christian after that study, and I was so happy. And a few years later, I was working in Seattle, Washington, and he called me and he said, Sandy, I'm selling everything that I have, and Sharon and I are gonna go off to a Bible training school, and then we're going to Cambodia to be missionaries. And I was just shocked at that transformation. I said, Dennis, you've come a long way from shaking your fist in my face. And that transformation has been priceless to watch the change in that individual. I know Dennis had to hear me telling stories about mission trips. I use those as talking points to get conversations started with people. And then you end up with the follow-up questions where people will say, why did you take your vacation time and go do that? and it gives you an opportunity to talk about what Christ means to you. I've, I've often thought of myself as being a missionary, but a vocational missionary, kind of like Paul made tents. And so I think about myself at, at the workplace as being God's representative there. When I get discouraged at work, and I think that maybe nobody's watching, nobody's paying attention, maybe my witness is not effective, um, rather than thinking about moving on, I just need to think about living a Christ-like life because somebody's watching me all the time. I think that's a uh, really incredible testimony to think that someone could be transformed, someone who clearly hated the church and didn't want anything to do with it, and to end up being a missionary. That's just an amazing thing. And, and to think that it all happened because he was consistent and faithful in sharing with this guy and in just treating him with respect at his workplace. Um, and I think that's really the power of a consistent witness. That's the power and the opportunity that we have in our workplaces each and every day we get to work. Who is going to show your work colleagues that God is real? Who's going to show them that life with him is infinitely better than life without him? If not you, then who? Having long-term relationships with your work colleagues also means that they will see the way that you act in all kinds of different situations. They'll see how you handle being under stress and pressure. They'll see what you do when there's a deadline due and the team is relying on you. They'll see how you respond to that customer on the phone who just blew up at you, when that kid perhaps in school swears at you. They'll hear about what you do when your boss asks you to fudge some numbers for that client or perhaps to omit that glaring mistake in a report in order to close the deal. They'll notice what you do in the office kitchen at lunchtime when the microwave's dirty and nobody wants to touch it. They'll get to know what you're like at work, uh, at after-work drinks or at the Christmas party. They'll see how you treat your subordinates and whether you're real or fake to your superiors. They'll know if you're someone who's quick to reward and celebrate the success of others or if you're the one who likes to take the credit. They'll see how you handle failures and mistakes. 
They'll know if you're a person of integrity who takes responsibility for their actions or whether you like to sweep things under the carpets and throw others under the bus. All of these things happen at work, and every single one of them is an opportunity to demonstrate uh, where our allegiance lies. They're all opportunities to show whether we live for the kingdom of darkness or for the kingdom of his beloved son. I remember one of those days uh, that I had at work. It was a number of years ago now, and uh, not at the current place where I'm working. And I remember this day really challenged me uh, as to whether I should choose to do the right thing or do the dodgy thing. Uh, I'm a software developer, which means I write code for a living. Uh, And I think it was uh, Wednesday morning, and I'd been doing some testing, and uh, I was mortified to find that I had overlooked a major software vulnerability in some code that I had written. Uh, Effectively, if exploited, it could allow someone with rather minimal effort to access things that they weren't supposed to. Uh, And the results were potentially catastrophic. Uh, Very fortunately for me, this was some time ago now. Uh, In fact, if it happened, you know, this week or this year, uh, our company would have been subject to legislation that mandates uh, that that companies make publicly aware when a breach may have occurred. Uh, And so when I stumbled upon it, immediately two very uh, opposing ideas came into my mind. Uh, It was kind of just like in those cartoons where you have the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other. So my first option, and the most tempting option, was to just write a quick fix for this issue, sneak it into the next code release, and hope that nothing would ever come of it. Nobody would ever know, and hopefully no one had ever found out or exploited it. That was the first option. And the second option was, of course, to confess to my boss that I had pretty majorly screwed up and deal with the consequences. And I remember sitting there at my desk, frozen in fear, for at least 45 minutes. Uh, In the end, you'll be pleased to know that I decided to do the right thing. I wouldn't be sharing it with you now if I hadn't. (laughs) It's never happened, aside from that one time, guys. Don't worry, Jimmy, it's all good. (laughs) Uh, It took a lot of courage uh, for me to own up to my mistake and to swallow my pride, Uh, especially since there was this temptation to have just covered it all up and and potentially no one would have been the wiser. Uh, but in the end, I sat down with my boss, and uh, I told them, and you know, there was various other people who obviously had to know about the issue as well, and, and we talked it through. And, and thankfully, although they were obviously concerned, they were very understanding that mistakes happen. Uh, so in the end, we patched the issue. We monitored the, si- the system for any suspicious activity, and unfortunately, it turned out that nobody had uh, exploited the issue, and, and everything was back to normal uh, you know, later that afternoon. Uh, There's lots that we as a team and I individually had learnt from that one little episode. Uh, In some kind of weirdly ironic way, I think I actually had earned a bit more of my superior's trust because I'd been upfront about the issue. And while I hope that nothing like that situation occurs to me ever again, I'm glad that I ended up doing the right thing. I was able to come out on the other side with my integrity and honesty intact. And while they'll probably review my code a little closer in the future, uh, I was able to show that I could be counted on to do the right thing. And in some small way, I believe that God was glorified that day. Sometimes we find it more difficult to reach out to our work colleagues because we know that we have to work with them day in and day out. We can't just give them a presentation of a gospel and, and then say goodbye to them. We'll have to face them again on Monday Uh, But at the same time, it's these relationships where we can make the biggest impact. There are few things more attractive about the gospel than the consistent testimony of a life lived out. It's in these relationships where we can really show the reality of God in our lives day by day. Paul tells the Galatians in chapter 6, verse 9, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Work is worship when we consistently represent Jesus in our workplaces. That's how people will encounter the God of the universe, through ordinary people like you and I, who choose to walk each and every day as Christ's ambassadors. We cannot afford to grow weary of doing good, because in due season, God will bring about transformation in the lives of those around us. It's true that we may never see the full impact we have this side of eternity, but it's nonetheless our privilege, our honor, and our duty 
to represent Christ in our workplaces and to shine as lights in this dark world. Uh, last night, uh, Chris and I were at a wedding and we were able to chat with the lady sitting next to us. Uh, and actually, our conversation with her was very inspiring. She truly uh, was an unassuming but very remarkable person, in my mind at least. Uh, she explained to me how she had gone to Bible college to find out uh, how she could serve God full-time in full-time ministry. Uh, and in so doing, she discovered actually that the most effective ministry for her was not to become a full-time missionary or to become a pastor of a church. Uh, for her, it was actually to simply return to her work at one of the big four accounting firms and to reach out to her work colleagues. Uh, it was quickly became evident by the way that she talked to us that she was not only passionate about her work, but also about making disciples in the workplace. Her work was not just something that she did to make a living or something, or something she had just naturally progressed into. For her, it was a conscious decision every day to worship God. She wasn't just laying bricks, she was building the church. Her perspective made all the difference. It reminds me of a few of us, Andrew Finn, perhaps, now working in Thailand, pursuing God with his work, Julie and even Kenny, who always have a story to share about a colleague or student that they've reached out to. And of course, in the past couple of weeks, and even today, we've heard from Evelyn, Kerry, and today, Craig. Like them, let's do away with this thinking that it's only pastors or missionaries who make a real impact for the kingdom. Let's put aside this thinking that Sundays are more sacred than the Monday to Friday. Merely hearing a sermon on Sunday will not make you a more loving person. Hearing a sermon on Sunday, even from me, doesn't teach you to love like Jesus did. It can't shape you to become more like Christ, and it does nothing for the salvation of your work colleagues. But what you do at your workplace can, because it's in the workplace that you learn to love like Jesus did. It's in the workplace that you grow in the fruit of the Spirit. It's there that you can model the gospel with your life and tell others about Jesus. Hearing a sermon on Sunday, no matter how relevant or timely or thought-provoking it is, can only make a lasting impact if we choose to act on it and act on what we hear. Let's close by asking God to help us do that now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who gave us work. We thank you that even in the Garden of Eden, you gave Adam the work of looking after uh, the animals and naming them and, and all that you'd given them. And so, Father, we thank you that work really is a blessing for us to have. And Lord, I pray that we would treat it and see it as a way in which we can worship you. Lord, I pray for those of us who struggle with their work. Lord, I pray that we would be people who truly want to honor and glorify you, even though it's difficult. Lord, I pray for those of us particularly who perhaps haven't made that conscious decision to worship you in our work. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to stand up for you in our workplaces, that you would give us the courage to make the hard decisions that you want us to make. Father, I pray that you'd open our eyes and be sensitive to the needs of our work colleagues, that we may, might be able to encourage and bless them and point them to you. Father, I pray that our work truly would glorify you, that truly it would be our place where we can shine as lights in this world. And Father, I pray that your spirit would go before us, that we would do a transformative work in those around us. Father, that we would be able to see your hand at work in their lives. Father, I thank you so much that you've given us work and it's not just something that we do to fill our time, but it is something that we can do with purpose, that we can do intentionally to honor and magnify and to, to lift you up. And so, Father, when it's hard, I pray that we'd see you shaping us, molding us, and God, that we would praise you even in those times. Father, I thank you for this privilege. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be with us. That God, even as we go about our work, uh, whether that's, you know, as, as a teacher, as a real estate agent, as a programmer, whether that's as someone who's a retiree or, or something else, Lord, I pray that we would glorify you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. Let's stand and sing till I see you. The greatest love that anyone could ever know that overcame the cross and grave to find my soul. Until I see you face to face, and grace amazing takes me home, I'll trust in you. With all I am, I live to see your kingdom come. And in my heart, I pray you'd let your will be done. Until I see you face to face And grace amazing takes me home I'll trust in you child in awe of you. Just before I close with benediction, I was just thinking about what, what about us retirees, you know? Uh, Jono gave a very, very relevant and very, very, very good sermon. Um, but I've retired from workforce. So, how will, how is it going to what, what, how is it going to be relevant to me in this talk? So I want to share with you, especially to the retired those 
evergreen. Those are my those are retired from paid work. And I want to just give you share with you one verse of that many verses. Colossians chapter one verse ten that we are to live a life that is worthy of the gospel and to please the Lord in every way, bearing fruit, bearing fruit in every good work. So we are still to bear fruit in work. And uh, I want to share uh, the example of those uh, of uh, James and Sue, if they don't mind. They have retired from workforce, but they, I, I believe they still go to Madrid or those palliative hospitals to minister to those terminal patients and voluntarily unpaid job use their own money to travel and I salute them you know they, they have retired from workforce and that is good work and I think of Lei Kuan uh, I don't think she's here today from Singapore she said she could she can't come to our Evergreen on Thursday because she has committed herself to be a pianist at uh, a service every Thursday at Angry Care Village. And that is good work, you know. So that's a challenge to me. A challenge to all those of us who are retired because if you don't have any work to do and, and we don't need to look for paid work, and in fact, when you work without paid, you will have less pressure. And so uh, without work, it asks yourself, what meaning is there? You know, every day you wake up, no work to do. So uh, I just want to encourage all the retirees that we still can find meaningful work. And thanks to Jonah. And then just the Lord said, in view of the resurrection of Christ, let us uh, let us uh, abound in every good work. Let's give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord because our labor in the Lord will not be in vain. All right? Okay. All right then. Church. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.